Hello everyone and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee podcast. Kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and fix this next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. and welcome to today's podcast episode in which I'm joined by another unique guest. This guest is unique and the guest today is Jay Allen and he's unique for two reasons. The first reason, he's the first guest that I've ever had that was born in the same town that I was, a town called Mansfield. (laughs) And we've had so much, we've been talking about listeners before this recording started, saying what schools we went to and uh, and all the things that we've known and where we had our first illegal pints in Mansfield and things like that. But but primarily, Jay is here today because he's a combat veteran. He's a motivational speaker and a business leader. Uh, a former soldier who, after a series of incidents, eventually saw his medical discharge in 2003. And he was telling me earlier on that he actually joined the army in, what was it, 1990? 1990, yeah. 1990, yeah. So so a good length of, of service. But rather than this define him, he's gone on to be a great success and a true entrepreneur in his post-military career. And since leaving the army, Jay has gone on to either buy, acquire or set up and scale four of his own businesses and worked internationally as a change management consultant and he holds several non-executive director positions for both PLCs, you know, limited companies and NFP organisations, not-for-profit organisations and has won both national and international awards. He's a published author and we're going to find out a little bit more about that later on. Uh, he was Amazon number two bestseller because he was gazumped by somebody called Mark Carney. Uh, you know, has a little bit of something to do with banking, probably. Uh, and he's falling into professional speaking quite by chance. And since 2012, has spoken in 34 different countries to business audiences of all sizes, sectors, culminating in not just once, but twice winning a Global Entrepreneur Big Impact to Business Award for his keynotes as well. And Jay is often described as a whirlwind of motivation and inspiration, always ready to offer a new perspective, which we definitely want today. So it gives me great pleasure to have Jay on today's podcast. Welcome to today's podcast, Jay. Great to have somebody not only with that kind of bio, but also from my hometown of Mansfield as well. Welcome. Amen. Thank you so much for the invitation. Very much looking forward to getting into this. And and actually, in, in most of my life, I meet very few people who came from Mansfield because they either stay in Mansfield and don't go outside of Mansfield, which, you know, I escaped Mansfield. When did we leave Mansfield? Probably about 1997, I think we left, left Mansfield and gradually got further away. Um, or, you know, they just generally go to places where I've never met them. So it's great to meet you and, and know that we're both from Mansfield. You've got such a, a varied career. I've got to ask the first question. And before we get on to the coffee and what we're drinking, etc. 
what made you sign up? And I know exactly the location where you went to sign up. And you said you went along and thought about it in 1989 and then joined in 1990. What was it that motivated you and inspired you to join the British Army? Great question. Um, two things, really. First of all, I, I qualified in sociology and psychology. Um, I wanted to go and work in a children's home in Nottingham um, with kids that had perhaps been born into difficult circumstances and be able to help them not to be mentally traumatized by their past and be able to demonstrate that there is a new way and an alternative method of, of going forward and, and don't allow your, your, your circumstance to be able to determine your future. Uh, and I got a first from Nottingham uh, Trent, uh, Trent Polly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's another thing we've got in common. I went there as well, but I did quantity surveying at Nottingham Trent Polly. Yeah. <laughs> so I got, I got a first in uh, in sociology and uh, qualified and went into um, to qualify as a sociologist um, and a social worker with the view of potentially doing a master's in psychology um, and becoming a psychologist. Um, I went into work after I'd finished qualifying. And within three or four months, I'd realized it was nothing like the qualifications that we'd learned. It was nothing like what we'd learned in the theory. The, the actual fact was that you were a case study officer and a pen pusher, whilst probation service did that, and the social services department did that, and the outreach workers and the police workers. And you yeah. actually just wrote reports. And I thought, there is no way I want to be doing this for the rest of my life. I want to make a difference. And just as I was getting disillusioned with being a social worker, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to take anything away from social yeah. workers. I think they do a wonderful job. It just wasn't for me. The army were in town looking for post-grad recruits on a recruitment campaign with this offer of being able to offset the cost of your university degree in return for three or four years' service. And without wow. shadow of a doubt, I looked at how much debt I got, and I thought, you know what? Three or four years for Queen and Country isn't such a bad job. Yeah. And I didn't realise that was even a thing back then. You know, something that, yeah, you're lucky to find out about. So so that gives us a little bit of uh, of, of a history on that. And, and I, I'm going to just mention to the listeners one other thing, because obviously we connected on social media, and one of the reasons I reached out to you was because of the... The, the, the coaching that you do, that true north coaching and that ethical side of, of what you do. And I think as as coaches, and I know you're a fellow of the International Association of Professional Coaching, and you talk about all the you know the qualifications you've got in leadership and management, yeah, it's really important that we don't just look at our qualifications and the the tools and the templates that we can use for coaches, which are all valuable. But as coaches we we have to stand by uh, the ethics and the direction that we give to our clients. And that's why I became a coach, because I'd been coached by lots of coaches in my business, which was in Mansfield, um, by people who had great coaching skill, but they didn't have very good coaching ethics. And I think as an industry, the coaching industry isn't renowned for its ethics. Amen. And that's, a, and that's Amen. a real shame, isn't it? You know, And I'm on a mission yes, to change that, and I hope we can do that during this podcast as well. Amen. So I think the whole profession has got such a bad rap recently with regard to the amount of people that have come in it almost for self-healing um, and yeah. trying to earn a living whilst working on their own concerns, uh, but also because in the main it's such an unregulated industry that in actual fact you, you have to self-police. 
And I always believe that, you know, a good coach ought to have the same type of relationship with, in terms of honesty and integrity as that that someone might have with their priest or their doctor. Yeah. Um, and the only way you can do that is by following the same type of ethical code as that you would expect from a faith or from a profession such as the doctors. Yeah, 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 completely agree. So let's get, let's get into the podcast questions then. You know, I've, I've just got back uh, to the office just a short while ago and managed to grab myself a drink. Now, listeners, you've probably heard me say this before, but I'm, I'm cheating today because I'm not drinking coffee. Okay, it's the end of my day. My voice is starting to croak, so I've had to grab something with some honey in just to soothe the the voice. So I've got some lemon water, strangely enough, uh, with a spoonful of honey in to get the the voice back to where it needs to be, so we can get a great episode recorded here. So, Jay, you mentioned that you drink coffee in the morning, and I've drunk quite a bit of coffee already today. I've had a couple of Starbucks and I've had a couple of uh, instant coffees at clients as well today. What coffee do you drink? And then tell us what you move on to later in the day. Well, I've got to be honest with you. You know, I've spent 12 and a half years in uniform, fighting battles all over the world for queen and country. And about four years ago, I got flummoxed by a cow. Um, I'm dairy intolerant. Really? Um, in, in my late 40s, I became dairy intolerant almost completely. I can't even have a little nub of butter without feeling quite unwell. Um, so I've ended up drinking... Um, some of these posh oat milk or, uh, or, or, nut, or hazelnut milk lattes these days uh, because you still get the coffee fix, um, yeah. but without that, that dairy upset. Yeah. Uh, do you find that you get unokay with the taste of those? I know we've had various guests of those, and I think you know there's mixed views. You know, there are some that I have that I quite like the taste of. There's some that don't really have much of a taste, so it doesn't affect the drink. You know, If you were to pick one out of those dairy alternatives... Which one would you say and which one for the taste? Um, when I first moved, um, I moved to soy milk. Um, and then I learned all about the, the need to be able to not use soy because of its, eco, its environmental damage to the environment. And so more, more recently, I've moved to hazelnut milk. And it, it seems to uh, be quite palatable. I have that on my cereal in the morning. It, it's, it's quite a pleasant alternative. Yeah, see, I've never tried hay. I'm, I wouldn't say I've got a nut allergy. But if I eat too many nuts, it builds up to the point where I do start to have a bit of an allergic reaction to, to the point where if I have too many walnuts, I do actually have anaphylactic shock. But wow. I, can eat, I can eat some of them without, it can even get walnuts without it. Being, it's a build up over a period mm. of time. So I've never tried the hazelnut milk. So you know, perhaps just as a one-off when I'm not eating too many nuts elsewhere, I might give that a bit of a go. So uh, yeah, and you're right. A hazelnut you know, latte. Yeah, hazelnut latte with two shots of caramel, and you're on a winner. Right, that's it, listeners. You heard it here, then. So we need to find that. So, if you've got a favourite uh, alternative to coffee, what do you move on to later in the day to to keep that hydration and that liquid intake going once you've got the coffee out the way in the morning that you mentioned? Um, I'm, I'm really one for remaining hydrated throughout the day. So um, I've got a, a large um, um, vessel to be able to have um, chilled um, lemon water um, throughout the day. Uh, and it's literally just a pint of water with a little splash of fresh lemon juice in it um, right. that I probably top up every hour, an hour and a half. Um, if I still want a hot drink later on, I tend to do exactly the same as you. And it's a hot lemon with a little... 
um, topple of honey just to be able to uh, put some sweetness back in it. Yeah, great. And one of my tasks for this weekend is to go into my shed. Uh, I extracted about 20 frames of honey from my hives about two weeks ago, went on holiday and didn't get a chance to extract the honey out of those frames. So I need to spin the frames and get the honey out of it because I love my own honey as well. So, uh, so yeah, great, great to do. So if you can get local honey, anybody, you know, that's always good as well. So, and it supports the local bee economy. Well, it does, yes, and and that helps, yeah, the fruit trees and, and and all the other things that need pollination as well. So, you've you've mentioned in your introduction, obviously, being an author, being a keynote speaker. If there's something that has been the most significant thing for you in perhaps the last twelve months or last two years, and I know it's been a very changeable couple of years. What is it you've been working on? What's been evolving or what's been significant that you've been working on? Um, I think I think if we just start back maybe 24 months and then look at the last 12. Mm, please. The amount, the amount of people that were ill-prepared for what happened in March 2020 with regards to a, a global lockdown and, and a pandemic um, and the difficulty people found to be able to use this word pivot um, to move from what they were so used to to perhaps what they now needed to do. Um, and I think one of the things that my military experience has taught me is that never, ever, ever expect a plan to go the way it was expected. There's a lovely phrase in the army that says, doesn't matter how good the plan is, it, it, it never survives first contact with the enemy. Um, well, if you call the enemy COVID, um, well, in actual fact, so many people just got stunned with not knowing what to do or how to do that we spent a lot of time in 2020 early 2021 almost pro bono really helping people to understand how to be able to stay afloat and stay in business yeah um and we did probably three or four hundred pro bono hours of webinars and seminars and helping people to understand how to be able to translate that into a usable um, business tool, particularly for people in trades who were unable to work. Uh, and all of that has subsequently paid off in the last 12 months, whereas they've pivoted and now learned to be able to use digital or uh, an alternative offering. They were kind enough to be able to come back and recognize who were the one that supported them in the first place. And we've had a, a surge of new clients to be able to look after as people have now pivoted. So it's been a, a good exercise in you give first and be open to receiving as opposed to this natural assumption that I've given you and therefore I'm deserved of receiving. Yeah, and we were talking about, it's a strange, I think that's a common theme at the moment, that if you give unconditionally, um, you know, the rewards that you get back, you know, whatever your beliefs or faiths are, you know, are always, always, you know, that ripple effect of, you know, a much higher return than what you gave out. But if you give it with a, an expectation that you're going to get something back, then the rewards generally, they're probably still pretty good, but they're diminished, certainly. And it, it's interesting that, and it's good that people have come back, because I think the other thing, I'm sure some of the listeners have found this, that they probably feel a little bit frustrated that they, whatever industry they're in, they gave, as you have done and as I did and other people did, and then people very quickly forget. You know, hmm. do, you, do you think there was any trigger um, that has made people come back? You know, did you just leave it for them to come back or have you kept in contact? Is, you know, is there a little secret nugget there that perhaps did 
encourage people to come back to you that perhaps the listeners might be able to take away that they can use? Sure. Well, the first of all, like you say, is is give unconditionally and give without um, without any hang-ups. Yeah. Um, understand that to, to give and to receive is part of the same thing. You know, when I go to shake your hand, I'm left yeah. hanging until you hold my hand and we uh, and we exchange the shake. Yeah. So to give and to receive is is of equal measure, but it doesn't automatically mean that to give you should expect to receive at that time or from that person. So as long as we go into it with the right essence of I'm giving because I'm able to do so and I'm able to receive, but I might not receive from you directly. It might be that you make a recommendation or a referral or an introduction somewhere else down the line, but I'm open to receiving that without expectation. Then that's the first essence. But then subsequently is to be able to have a really good follow-up machine that you continues to give value. Uh, And again, you know, I refer to my service uh, in the military I spent 12 years of service to Queen Anne country, and I might have taken my uniform off and now be a coach. But if I remain of service rather than simply selling a service, then in actual fact, that subtlety is sufficient to be able to say, if I just continue to deliver good value, then at some stage, the the, the seesaw will move in my favor and they'll say, hang on a minute that guy just keeps on giving us stuff and giving us stuff and giving us stuff. Perhaps it's time I gave something back. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure there are some people listening to this as well, that when they give, they give, and you mentioned it there, but hold something back. So, you know, there are certain professions, and I'm not going to name the professions because some of them might be listening, where you get a 30-minute free session but you know that you're not going to get the best information and best tips in that 30 minutes because they want to hold that back to when you pay them for the service. Now, I don't know what your take is on this, but you know, one of my takes on it is you know, give your best in that free time and then people see the best of you and you're more likely to convert them. And I love what you said there about being of service, not selling a service. What would you say to those people that say, yeah, it's okay giving, but you only give a limited amount or you only give a lesser amount, you don't give your best amount? What would you say to, to those kind of people? How, how would you encourage people to change that and do it more ethically? Well, the best example is, I mean, you mentioned that I'm an author. So let's just talk about books. Yep. Because in the good old days, we used to have a landing page with a lead magnet that said, give us your email address and I'll send you a PDF sheet of paper. And then some people came along and created an ebook. And all of a sudden the piece of paper was devalued by the fact that somebody else was giving you 12, 14, 15 pages of an ebook. And then everyone starts to do ebooks. And so some people decided I'm going into print and I'm going to print a book and I'm gonna give away the first chapter. And then everyone gave away the first chapter. And so you ended up giving away the best chapter. And then everyone gave away the best chapter. And it's got to the point now where you give away the book, and you simply ask for a cover the cost of postage. And then people read the book for free because they then wants to meet the author and buy the coaching program that the author offer. And the simple fact is you've just got to understand that the environment has changed 
and what used to work pre-COVID doesn't work post-COVID. Um, the, the, the expectation of digital intervention has determined that we've got to be willing to give more, do more, be more, and expect less on the premise that you end up achieving more. If you, if you change the premise of chasing money to chasing giving value, money gets bored of not being chased and simply comes to find you. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing as well, it's it's about having a bit of fun while you're doing it as well. If if all of that feels a chore, and sometimes it can be hard work, don't get me wrong, but if it's, if it's not enjoyable and it's a chore, then actually that will come through when people receive it as well. If you do it reluctantly and as a chore, then the listeners and the readers definitely pick up on that, definitely. So Massively so. I mean, the other things to consider with, with regards to the chore thing is the fact that if you've got a process, if you've got a nurture process to be able to win somebody over and build that no like, and trust, and you think, well, this is only a no exercise, so I'm only going to put 20% of my effort into it because I'm, I'm going to reserve the rest for once they're paying me, then they're never going to pay you. You've got to turn up and give 100% at the no phase and then another 100% in a different format at the like phase and then another 100% at the trust phase in order for them to be able to see the authenticity and, and honesty and the transparency of who you are so they can make that decision. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So, and that leads on to my next thought as we're talking there. You know, your your business, you know, uh, is it My True North? Is that the full name of the business, mm. My True North? Yeah. Um, and obviously the, the fact that you base it on business ethics it's quite a, and I can understand a little bit about the service side of that and serving, you know, your queen and your country. But I find very few people who have served in the military become coaches. Uh, some might become consultants in the particular area of their expertise. But what led you to the business that you've got and that focus on ethics in business as well? Well, I'm really fortunate because although I joined the British Army, I didn't join as a foot soldier. Um, when I first went into the careers office, of which we both know exactly where it is, yeah. um, they took one look at my qualification in social work and the uh, the training wing, uh, the sergeant major there, the recruitment sergeant major said, oh, sociologist, that's psychology, that's that's all that carey-fairy stuff. He says, well, we don't need any of that because we know we're all mad. He says, but if you're a carer type stuff, perhaps you ought to join the medical corps. Um, and, and, and ushered me towards becoming a paramedic, and I, I retrained to become a paramedic, um, of which you then assigned to a regiment as they go on tour, and then you go back into the pool and you're assigned to the next regiment as they go on tour. So I, I travelled throughout my career as an individual rather than being assigned directly to a regiment, and you are of service to that regiment. Yeah. And then in my latter years, I requalified into training and became a training wing NCA or a non-commissioned officer to teach and educate others. And as part of that, did a qualification in change management to look at how to be able to help people move and change in behavior. And my psychology degree, coupled with some training qualifications, it was a natural progression to be able to say, how do we help people change? Yeah. Why the focus on ethics? It's something that I feel incredibly strongly about. I, you know, I, I will live and die by my word, both in and out of uniform. 
Um, it's something that I think is particularly lacking um, and therefore an opportunity to be able to niche. And we all know the value of niching down in your subject of expertise. And it's something that I found of real interest and value, which is why I went off and, and qualified and got my master's in international ethics. Yeah. And it's interesting you say there that you know ethics are lacking. And I think that mm-hmm. certainly here in the UK, and I know in other countries it's very similar, I think we have never lived in a time when our leaders and politicians and rulers have shown a complete lack of ethics as they're doing. Now, don't get me wrong, I say complete lack, and there are people out there with good ethics. But certainly when you look at the environment we're in, it certainly doesn't feel that the people that are guiding us are following or even have any ethics of any sort. And that's a real shame, isn't it? What what do you think has been a shift in not just, I don't want to pinpoint politics, but generally in life, what do you think has been that deterioration of ethics? Well, I guess that, God, this is a brilliant question, isn't it? We could do that for months. We could, um, yeah. yeah. How long How long was this recording? Yep. <laughs> um, I'm just going to get a, uh, a plate of food. And let's really get into this. Um, Quite, quite frankly, I think it's probably eroded since the end of the Second World War. Um, and we've created too many different labels and tabs. We've created too many different subgroups in society and then determined that's not my responsibility. That's somebody else's responsibility. And we've started to become far more insular with regards to what's in it for me, as opposed to the old Lord Kitchener quote, ask not what you can get from your country, but what you can give to your country. Um, we've lost the sense of community. We've lost the sense of family, of nuclear family. We've lost the sense of belonging and relationships. And as a result, there's this natural erosion that says, but I need for me, as opposed to I have the pleasure and privilege of being able to provide for others. And I guess, you know, coupled with the fact that having toured in places like Bosnia and East Timor and Sierra Leone, and seen some of the most horrific um, erosions of society and of human endeavor or humanity to be able to come back and say, so how do we rebuild that in our own society so we don't end up that that could be the, the future for our own kids and grandkids? Yeah, and I think as you were talking there, it made me think that yeah, the, the responsibility for, for ethics and people having values is everyone's. And it's not ours to point the finger and say, oh, that's nothing to do with me or that's not my fault, that's their fault over there. And it really goes from the top down, from from the rulers down, but also from the bottom up, doesn't it? You know, we learn it as children from our parents and it goes all the way. And certainly I agree with you, you know, over my lifetime, uh, you know, the, the erosion of family uh, has been a significant part of that, you know, and... Um, you know, it, it's it's such a shame. And what I also would like to say to the listeners is, we find values and ethics something that we feel we have to do and publicise. You know, we put our values on the sheet and we put it up on the wall. But actually, it's not about wearing the badge; it's about walking the walk. And the only way that values and ethics are embedded in all of our lives, and if you think other people haven't got them, then actually take a look in the mirror and think, how are you living by your values and your own ethics? Because it starts not at the top and the bottom, 
that definitely has an impact, but it starts with us, doesn't it? And how we live our values and our ethics as well. Massively so. It comes from within. Um, you know, I often say within the coaching world that regardless of the questions that I'm asking, um, I often find that by asking the question, you're also interrogating yourself to say, am I living true to that? Um, is that something that I am living by or something that I'm merely quoting? Um, and like you say, with a, with an unregulated industry, you find many people that are capable of being able to ask the right questions. It's perhaps a little bit more important to be able to walk the walk and lead the way yeah. um, rather than looking up to somebody. Start to look into somebody and say, what is it about them that I admire or aspire to? What is it about them that sets them apart from everybody else? And how can I then replicate that in my own life that people perhaps in the future um, are able to do that to me? I'm a firm believer that you have to live a legacy rather than simply leave one. Yes, yeah, completely. Agree. And if you live it well, then you leave a fantastic one, don't you? I completely agree. Amen. So, so your books are, are being around self-development, uh, team development and business development. And, you know, you've, you've won several awards for those books. Um, you've got a book that's going to be launched and published as we record this very soon. But actually, it's probably as this goes live, listeners, as you're listening to this, it's, it's probably already been out a week or two weeks. So tell us a little bit about that book, how people can or how will people be able to get hold of it? Or how can people get hold of it as this goes live? And what should people expect to take away from it? That's very kind of you. Thanks very much. It started about seven or eight years ago. Uh, and I got somewhat frustrated. I'd recently sold a business and, and was in the process of deciding whether I wanted to retire or whether I was ready for retirement. Um, and I got a little bit fed up with seeing many other people on the net that were doing well in business and then offering a business success blueprint. There were these people out there that were happy to be able to either sell a course or a workshop or some program to be able to say, look, we're being really, really successful. Let's let's help you to become successful too. And I was intrigued, so I bought one. Mm. Now, the person who I bought it from will remain nameless. That will be unfair and unfounded and rather unethical. Yeah. Um, but I bought one of these business success blueprints, and I was fascinated to determine as to, you know, if, if I'd had this 10 years earlier, then perhaps I wouldn't have made many of the faults I made along the way. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, it was a very, very well put together and detailed analysis of what they had done to achieve the level of success that they were now um, operating at. They'd gone from uh, several tens of thousands of pounds business to a three or four million pound turnover business in a relatively quick succession. And then they documented the process and, and we're busy selling it for that applicable 997 pounds, which seems to yeah. be the popular fee just below the visa guarantee remark yeah. for some reason. Nevertheless, I, I bought yeah. it, I looked at it, I studied it. The one thing that was a missing ingredient is how do I translate that to me in my business? And the simple mm. fact is that most of the business success pl uh, blueprints out there will be missing that ingredient because they're so busy running their own successful business, they haven't got a clue how to be able to translate that into from their widget business to your professional services business or, yeah. or, or vice versa. And so I decided to go on this little bit of a road trip, take me about seven years of research to look at what causes good businesses to fail 
and how do we overcome that so we don't become a statistic? About 20% of all businesses fail within the first year. Um, almost 60% of startups fail within the first three years. And that's got to have a massive impact on the family uh, and the relationships and the employees and the financial impact. And I said, there surely has got to be a better way that we can learn just as much from failure as we can from success. So why don't we learn from other people's demise and then say, well, how do I avoid that so I can at least stay in the game? Um, now, I've got a copy of the first book here. It's called Add a Zero. Um, and it's simply, it's not a reading book. It, it's simply a guide on the things to do to avoid failure so you can stay in the game. Great. Um, and since, we've since we wrote it and we published uh, book one, um, which is all about being able to put the right foundations in place. Um, I've subsequently gone on to re write the sequel called Scale to Success, which comes out at the end of September this year at the time of recording, and is all about building on those foundations on how to be able to take a multi-five or multi-six-figure business and turn it into a multi-seven or possibly an eight-figure business. Great. And it's it's so interesting what you said about the translation, because, you know, I've I... I speak to people all the time and they've been on a course or they've been on a program and there are some great ones you say out there. But then they say, I did everything they told me to do, but it just didn't work for me. Because very often these things are not a copy and paste. You know, you can't take everything. You've got to translate it in something that will actually work for you. And you either do that or you take away just one thing and then you think, oh, I learned one thing, but that was a lot of money. That was a few thousand pounds or dollars just to learn a small thing that perhaps I could have Googled anyway. So, uh, yeah. yes. So, so yes. What's, the, what's the name of the book? So the book one and book two are called Add a Zero. Book one is called Establishing Base Camp, and that's yep. all about being able to build sustainable foundations. And the new book is called Scales to Summit, um, which is all about being able to accelerate the speed of growth once you've got the right foundations in place. Great. And if people wanted to be able to access them, you'd simply visit the book's own website, add a zero, A-D-D-A-Z-E-R-O dot co.uk. And the book's got its own website where you can find the reviews and order it uh, on either Audible or Kindle or a printed <gasps> copy, however you prefer. Oh, now you've said the magic word there. So there's, there's going to be an audio version of this. Yes, both of them are on Audible um, as we speak. Right, amazing, great. Well, that's ticked a big box for me because uh, I like to listen to a book, determine its value, and then I like to buy the hard copy because I don't read books very well, but I study books. So then I buy the hard copy to study it in detail and put all my notes on it and post-it notes and scribbles and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so great. So, listeners, you know where to go. Uh, add a zero is it dot co dot uk did you say jake dot co dot uk yeah yeah and how do people find out more about you where can people reach out to you and just give us a spelling of your name so we make sure we're we're looking for the right person where do we go and how do we find you that's very kind thank you um i hang out on linkedin every day um yep. uh, my name is j allen j a y a w -L, l e n and the business as you've mentioned previously is called my true north so if you simply type into the LinkedIn, J. Allen, My True North, I'll pop up and you'll find me straight away. Great. Amazing. Thank you for that. So you've you've given us uh, quite a few insights already. Uh, 
before I go on to the sort of penultimate question of asking you to share a tip or a lesson with the listeners, I'd like to find out from you a little bit more of, you know, you did this thing 24 months ago. You've mentioned, obviously, people have come back uh, and you know, you've had a surge of, of clients, which is a great result. Are there any other after effects or benefits from what you did 24 months ago that you'd like to share with listeners before we go to that last lesson or tip? Sure. Um, I think the big thing is to be able to take stock. You know, um, the simple fact is that so many people at the end of 2021 were saying that they were looking forward to getting back to normal. Mm. Um, and they don't seem to understand we, none of us can unlearn what we learned in lockdown. Um, there is no going back. The, wor the world isn't suddenly going to start circumferencing the, the sun in a different direction. We're still going forward. Um, and we've, we're going forward with all of the things that we've learned and we've experienced over our lifetime, but certainly over the last 12, 24 months. And therefore, to be able to utilize the time effectively by being able to say whatever's got you to where you are may not be what's going to get you to where you want to be next. Yeah. And to be willing to understand that what we were experienced and what we were forced to go through in 2020 of a pivot is something that we've got to be able to learn to adopt and adapt and embrace and understand that the quickest route to sustainable cash is to remain relevant. And you've got to constantly be in communication with the audience to which you are of service and remain pivotal in being able to be of relevance. Yeah. And I think I feel as though you've almost given us the the tip and the lesson there at, at the same same time. And I think it's you know one thing I found is that obviously the way I do things. I mean, the podcast came came out of of lockdown, you know. And here we are, you know, heading towards two hundred episodes, uh, and you know it hasn't even been going you know two years yet. So it's been a you know incredible success and journey, and you know met some amazing guests such as yourself, but what the last 24 months have done is affected the way that I make decisions because I think the way the perspective we have on things now and because of the circumstances that perspective whether consciously or subconsciously affects with the way we make our decisions and it most importantly as you've just alluded to there it affects the way that our customers our suppliers our network of people around us our friends our family it affects all of us of how we make those decisions. And I think that has been a significant change. And I think what you said there about moving forward, you know, as, we, as we're heading into, you know, what the press are calling a cost of living crisis, you know, I, I don't think it's so much a crisis as they, as they say it is, and lots of listeners might disagree with that, but we're certainly going into a dip. And, you know, in the Bank of England uh, webinars I go on say it's not going to be a deep dip it's definitely going to be a dip and it's going to continue for quite a while probably 12 12 months 18 months but people are going to make different decisions even because of that we, i've just come back from scotland and we made different decisions about where we went to eat and drink based upon cost based upon value for money uh, but also based upon the fact that actually if i want to do something special i'm going to do it because I might not get another chance to do it. So all of our perspectives have changed, hasn't it, Com completely? Massively so. So if you were to give people something that they can take away and do something with, 
you know, a tip or a lesson that they can actually implement from this podcast episode. Uh, in addition to everything else that you've said, Jay, what would you say to the listeners that they can really go away and do something with the next few days or next week or so? My keynote that has won the two, you know, global awards is called Get Big or Go Home. Um, and what I want to share with your listeners, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to do so, is we can all get so caught. We know the importance of being in the now, of being present. But there's also the risk that being in the now, we get so caught up into the vacuum of it that we forget to ensure as to which way are we pointing and are we still making progress. Yeah. Um, so if there was any tip, I would say, it's stop spending all your time in the now and look not to the end of this month or to the end of the quarter or possibly even the end of the year, but look, do, where do you want to be in the next five or 10 or 15 years time? Yeah. What does the next generation for you look like and starts to be able to plan for what do you need to have in place and what education do you need and what learning do you need and where are you going to access that from beyond the current current crisis that people are talking about and prepare for the next season. Yeah, uh, and I think that's really important. And you know, I learned when I was taking a motorbike around a racetrack, you know, one of the instructors said to me, don't look at the corner that you're about you know that you're going round look at the next corner you know because where whatever you look at is where you will end up and you know you need to look that further ahead so yeah that's a, that's that's a great great tip and uh, yeah I'm, I'm sure many people who kick a football or do motorsport will understand that you know if you just look at the end of your feet and the ball without looking where the net is you ain't going to hit the net, are you? So, uh, yeah. You're going nowhere. Yeah. yeah and, I, it's, and I'm not, I'm not a footballer, even, even I know that. Yeah. It's constantly looking beyond the current to be able to say, where do I want to end up? And is what I'm doing right now contributing towards that as an outcome? And then being willing to stop doing things that until last year or last week were working for you. If it's not helping you right now, stop reevaluate and go again learns to become more pivotal and ironically be more effective because that's where that's where the race is and we've got to be able to keep up with it to be part of it yeah yeah and if listeners if you want to avoid the crisis as everybody's talking about the press in particular the thing to do is lift your eyes up as jay's just explained and look beyond the crisis because if you look beyond the crisis and you look beyond the next 12 months and 18 months then actually that's where you'll end up. You'll end up at that point and you'll think, what was all the fuss about? Yeah, the Bank of England were right. It is only going to be a shallow dip. You know, it's going to be a dip, but it's, it was only a shallow dip. What was I worrying about? Absolutely. So final question then, Jay. If you were to have your, your next morning coffee, okay, uh, and as somebody who has seen so many different parts of the world, as you've explained to us, I never realised paramedics... Uh, and you know that side of the army got attached to different regiments and got sent off. I thought you were attached to one and off you went. So if you could have that next morning coffee in a dream location with your favourite book, where would it be and what would the favourite book be? Well, that's really easy. I'm very fortunate to be married to a Bermudian 
uh, and therefore my uh, my morning coffee and the ideal location will be overlooking Elbow Beach um, in Bermuda. Um, it'll probably be an iced coffee um, yeah. because it's rather warm and humid out there. Um, in terms of um, what would I be reading? Great question. I would like to. I'm not going to be so pretentious as to say I'd be reading my own book. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I love the stuff from Tony Robbins. I've been, I've been through most of his mastery and I love the stuff from Tony Robbins. I would probably be reading um, either something from Michael Gerber or something from Napoleon Hill. Ah, Napoleon Hill, that's an interesting one. See, I, I find some of his stuff interesting, but the, the style of it, I think some of the reworks of Napoleon Hill, for me, are better than the originals because I find the originals a bit of a hard, hard read. But yeah, Michael Gerber, uh, I'm with you on that one. Any particular favourite book from Michael Gerber? Um, the E-Myth Revisited um, is a brilliant read for anyone that's not heard it or read it. It should be on their mantelpiece, particularly if you're in business. Um, yeah. I, had the, I had the very fortunate opportunity to be able to, um, through Zoom and because of lockdowns, to, to meet Gerber and have a three-way conversation with him in Christmas last year. Um, oh um, he's 84 years old. He's still very much alive and well and still working um, in his E-Myth um, uh, e College or, or Academy, I think he calls it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just a fascinating man. I would consider him possibly one of the godfathers of modern entrepreneurship. So uh, anything that he's got to say would have been worthwhile listening to. Yeah. Uh, I'll share one quick story. And I don't think the listeners have, have heard this, but I'm a big Tony Robbins fan as well. Uh, he, he changed, you know, I've talked about how he changed my marriage and my life uh, in a very difficult circumstances. But two years ago, I was on... Uh, a course with him and I paid for the VIP upgrade for one of these Facebook Zoom things that he did and it was like 60,000 people and it was incredible but I was one of 200 people that then got a Q&A session with him afterwards and you got to type in your questions and answers and to cut a very long story short the first question that was brought up was mine wow and I was downstairs still making coffee and Tony Robbins was no. saying Hello, Simon, are you there? Simon. And I could hear him in my AirPods, but I was downstairs, not in front of my computer, and I rushed upstairs. And as I rushed up, he said, well, obviously, Simon's uh, not able to uh, get on the call right now, so I'll answer the question. And it, the only bit of one-to-one -one I got at the end was, he said, well, Simon, hopefully, if you're listening, that's made some sense. And they allowed me to take myself off of mute to go, yeah, Great, thanks, Tony. And that was it. That was my one-to-one -one with Tony Robbins. I was gutted. So uh, he's, the, he's, he's on my uh, list of dream authors. I made the very bold decision of being able to make the investment and go into his inner circle in 2020 and did a year with him in Mastermind. All oh, right, great. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's... Absolutely. Completely transformed the way I think. Um, there were 36 of us in Mastermind, and my business was 23 times smaller than the next smallest business in Mastermind. Wow. Um, there were three businesses there that were doing nine figures a year. Um, yeah. And just to be surrounded by people that are doing over $100 million a year and to communicate and listen and absorb and, and be party to was just transformational with regards to the way I think um, and the opportunities that have been made available to me. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So again, Mansfield, 
Tony Robbins, you know, how much have we got in common? We, you know, we could we could keep this podcast. We could do a whole series just on on the Mansfield lads, couldn't we? We're, actually, that's the name for the podcast, isn't it? The Mansfield lads. We'll do that one day. We'll do that. Thanks, do good. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's another story, but uh, there you go. Uh, look, Jake, you've been an amazing guest. You've given us some great insights and some great tips. And listeners, I know you will have taken away some real, real insights into ethics and what you can do how you can look at your business in a different way and a different light and some some great tips that you can do something with and look at that future ahead of where you are right now. And thank you so much for giving your time from Warrington, which I know is where you're located now. We all escape Mansfield eventually. Uh, and yeah, it's been great. And thank you for sharing so much. Delighted. Thanks for the opportunity and to your listeners for listening. Thank you. Yeah. And listeners, all you've got to do now is two things. One, and most importantly, leave a review of this podcast. Tell us what you learned from the podcast and what you've done with what you've learned. The second thing is go to that adazero.co.uk, check out the, the Basecamp book and check out that scale-up book, which is literally, as you're going to be listening to this, is hot off the shelf, hot off the press. Go and grab a copy uh, and you know, reach out to Jay. So that's J-A-Y and then Alan, A-L-L-L. E-N. Go out there, connect Jay, and as always, I look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.